This week on the podcast, I have an extra special guest. Nick Clark is the managing director of Nelson Bostock. After being with the business for over 20 years and managing director for seven, there's very little he doesn't know about growing B2B technology brands. Toshiba has been with him for 30 years, Canon for 18 years, so they must be doing something right. We discuss everything from how they got over the tricky four to five million turnover barrier. It involved making some pretty brave decisions. They responded to the needs of the market, as all good businesses do, uh, to offer just better value to their customers. They introduced new business processes, hired some amazing people, added uh, an integrated offering, which gave them skills of ABM marketing automation, attribution modeling, and made some smart acquisitions in the process. This is just a a masterclass in helping clients grow and achieve their own business goals while growing a fantastic agency in the process. They're one of those agencies whose name keeps popping up from time to time, but you don't really know too much about them, except that they've got some amazing clients and they keep showing up on the top B2B agencies lists. They don't shout about themselves a lot. They fly under the radar, but continue to produce some fantastic work. I I think you're definitely going to get a sense of the culture of the agency from the conversation that I have with Nick. So without me keeping you in suspense any further, my conversation with Nick Clark. Nick Clark is the Managing Director of Nelson Bostock, a 65-person strong tech agency working on big brand client accounts, including Canon Europe, EE, BT, and Google Cloud. He's been with the company for 21 years now and manages a portfolio of brands within the group. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Nick Clark, welcome to Agency Dealmasters. Thank you very much for having me, Nathan. Absolute pleasure having you having you on the show. You start your career with Nelson Bostock in 1998 after getting your BA in business studies with languages uh, in that year, you don't typically see people in agency land being in one agency for 21 years, do you? No, you don't. And um, and when, you, when you're reading out the intro there, I, I, whenever anyone says that and um, you know, started in the business in 98, 21 years at the same company, I sort of start to break out in a bit of a cold sweat, if I'm honest. <laughs> um, and no, it's not, it's not very common. And I probably spent the early part of my career thinking, well, actually, I had to say, let me start by saying I did leave. Uh, I did leave. I was there for four years and then I, I went traveling and I, I worked in a couple of other places and then I then I got enticed back. So there was a bit of a gap. Mm. Um, and actually, we have a we have a history of lots of other people um, leaving Nelson Bostock and coming back. But yeah, so I, I did leave. Um, but yeah, I, I, I suppose I was um, I spent the first half of my career thinking, Do you know what, I'm sure there's other stuff out there. The grass must be greener. I uh, should explore and, and um, try and do other things. And then I kind of just, my, my career just developed and evolved. And I've, I've been mm. so fortunate to work on some amazing campaigns with some, with some brilliant people, obviously. And um, there's always been another challenge. And I think that's what's, that's what's kept me here. Mm. Did you, what first attracted you to the agency out of university? Well, I, I, in my degree, I... It was languages and business studies, and part of that was actually marketing. And um, then moving to London straight out, as as everyone else did uh, back in the day, uh, I sort of came across. So I I knew I knew of Nelson Bostock because I I knew um, someone who worked there, 
And even though it was a kind of a, a PR agency, quite a well-established PR agency at that time, and even though I'd done a marketing degree, I, I literally had no idea what PR was. And that, that's either, I'm not sure what that says. I mean, maybe I wasn't listening very much in my, in my lectures or, mm. or it was, you know, we, we didn't actually kind of touch on that very much. But, but yeah, so it was it, the first thing that attracted me when I, when I met some of the people in the business was the, I mean, the company itself, the type of work it was doing and the people. I just thought the people were so, mm. so down to earth. I mean, I had no kind of preconceived ideas about what a, um, what a comms agency looks like and the types of people that worked in it but but um but yeah the, the the people were great the client work seemed really interesting and you know i'm not also naive enough to think that i i was incredibly fortunate i was so lucky mm. to uh, and, I, and maybe it was easier back then anyway but to be able to sort of essentially uh, and i don't feel good about this but sort of walk into a into a job like that with without mm. much of an interview process uh, and i know how tough it is for uh, for new people trying to get into the industry today so hmm. so yeah it was a combination of the client work and the people um, and just the fact i was moving to london and the excitement yeah of that, you know, yeah I, was, I probably would have done anything to be honest definitely as a, as a as a young person moving moving to london that's where all the action is happening but yeah. although in 98 you know slightly different world pr specifically i mean pr it wasn't as sexy back then as it is now it had a lot of negative connotations being associated with sort of the spin doctors um, uh, out of everything that, um, that Tony Blair and the Labour Party were doing at the time, it definitely doesn't have the reputation that it does ha have now. No, and, and you know, I mean, I, I, the, the type of business that, that I've worked in, the type of comms that I've done through my career has been so far removed from that that world. I mean, we're not really in in the political space. We, you know, my background has always been really kind of in technology, but quite a lot of b2b technology and, and consumer mm. technology as well um so there wasn't that you know i wasn't really part of that that world uh, mm. you know those sort of absolutely fabulous champagne lunches and all the rest <laughs> of it i never i think that all sort of passed me by somehow but mm. but yeah it was I, i've always thought the industry and, and the business I've, I've worked for and the clients i've worked for is a very it's a very grown-up world um you know it's a serious serious work that we do mm. um, you know, quite valuable work that we do uh, and proper consultancy and um you know all of that other all the all the spin and all the fluff mm. you know, <laughs> we don't um you know I've, I've never really kind of been part of that world sure sure so, so you've been managing director now for seven years did you always have plans to run the show from the beginning since you entered the uh, agency as a as a young graduate heading into london <laughs> well i'd love to say yes but obviously the answer is no um mm. i didn't really know what I was getting into. The first few years of my career was really trying to get to grips with uh, the clients that we were working with and the, the type of work that we were doing. And I found it fascinating. And I think I I had a um, I sort of I, I sort of felt like I took to it quite well because I had a um, uh, sort of a history of working in some various sales jobs and some quite random things. I worked in, for instance, I worked in um, Paris for six months in a men's clothes boutique selling sort of high end, um, you know, men's accessories and, and fashion and clothes to the kind of the, the sort of rich and famous of, of Paris, which is really, really random. I'm not quite sure how I got into that part of my university course. But, but you know, I, I found that I was quite good at, um, you know, selling things. And I also worked in, in, um, in Nice in a, in a car, in the airport car park, renting cars and, you know, stuff like that. So okay, I kind of like, myself, yeah, as you do, I did myself, you know, a sort of, you know, people person and, you know, good, 
we were building relationships hmm. and that's you know that's part of a big part of the job isn't it and i think you know that's why i i took to it and i really enjoyed it and i didn't have any qualms about uh, picking up the phone and speaking to journalists and, and hmm. all that um but certainly i never thought that i would run the business at that stage and and that's that's that transition from being a uh you know someone who is you go through their career as an account executive up to an account director and being very much kind of hands-on with client management team management and all the rest of it to then transitioning into a more of a management role a business management role is actually quite a challenge and mm. you know so that, that didn't happen until much later in my career obviously but but yeah that that didn't even come to me until you know many many years after I started. So- so tell us what that transition was like then. What was the first year like? Because I imagine that, um, yeah, um, a lot of expectations being set from the previous leadership or, or the leadership at the time. Uh, you must have been, you were obviously inexperienced. You hadn't held a senior role like that before. What was that first year like as managing director of Nelson Bostock? It's hard to remember specifically. I mean, it's, it's you know seven or eight years ago now, but I remember it being, and maybe it's not just the first year. The first few years, I remember. I don't think I was particularly good at it. I think I, I was still, in, in the world of thinking it's about you know specific client campaigns and 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 team management and all of that all of that stuff. And I think you know that is a that is a big part of the managing director's role as well. I mean that's. You know the, the point about you know, I didn't get into the to this industry or hadn't worked in the in the same place for so long to just be staring at Excel spreadsheets and looking at you know kind of forecasts and and um, you know doing the strategy for the next five years. Sure. I mean, that, that's that's also important. But you know I love I love the other side of it. But I think I struck what I struggled with most was maybe letting go. And I think maybe if you spoke to speak to some of the people that I I worked with or managed back then. Um, they probably would say, yeah, he, you know, he, he just, you know, he didn't really evolve into that role um, immediately. It took it took time for that transition to happen. He probably mm. continued to kind of, you know, step on my toes uh, too much, and I mm. wish he just sort of go away. And and I think also um, one thing I think I'm, I think well, I know I'm better at now, and I'd still could be even better at in the future is decision decision making, being really decisive on things. And that's the thing, isn't it? When you get the more senior you get, the more decisions you have to make in a in a day, uh, mm. and the more you procrastinate over those decisions, the the harder the job is, the, the longer sure. it takes. And that, that's still an issue. I mean, it's, it's an issue for everyone, isn't it? But I think that I, rem- I remember being in meetings like back in the old days where I'm like, where do we go about this? Like, let's, let's kind of just get everyone's opinion and sure. let's hope we come to some form of consensus. <laughs> and I think, um, yeah, and that, there's, there's merit in that as well. But, yeah. but equally, I think I that's something I have learned to be, to be better at. And, you know, you're not always going to make the right decisions. Of course, you're not. But mm. you know, just just go with something, and mm. if it's not working, change it. So seven years in now, you're also the uh, the CEO of the of the group, which, which we can talk about a little bit later. But when did you feel as though you're starting starting to get the hang of this? I'm actually pretty good at this managing director stuff. When did that start happening? Um, <laughs> I don't think it was mm. like a moment where mm. you, a, a switch was was flicked or anything, and maybe. You know, I, you know, there's the kind of obvious answer is you, you never really fully get the hang of it, do you? Constantly, constantly learning. I think when I, as you, you mentioned, the, the other role, sort of joint role that I had, I, I have, I run the the um, the comms division within the, the wider group that we're sitting. And I think probably that's, you know, I've been doing that in, in slightly different guises for a couple of years. And I think that at that point was another, was another step change in my career where I went from being, 
and the MD of a, an agency which was successful and and growing, uh, you know, albeit not 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 massively, but it was you know we were we were doing well and we were winning great work, great clients and doing brilliant work. Uh, to then thinking I've got this other now responsibility where I'm sitting more at the kind of the group level, uh, thinking about not just what's happening in with within the agency, but also what's happening across the whole of the group. Um, and that was that was another challenge and another kind of interesting uh, moment for me in my career where you know I took on more responsibility again and had to think beyond just what was happening in my little area. Um, so probably maybe two years ago, if that's if that's <laughs> trying to pinpoint <laughs> if it. that's an answer, yeah, yeah <laughs> that, that helps. Um, you let's talk a little bit about Nelson Bostock specifically because you've got some amazing clients as we mentioned at the top of the show, e Salesforce, f- Facebook, etc. What problems do your clients typically have, and how do you help solve them? Yeah, so some of those some of those that you mentioned there are, are old clients, but we've been really lucky um, over the years to represent, uh, yeah, some brilliant brands uh, you know, from the BBC, Salesforce, as you said, we worked with them for four years. Facebook, we worked with them for eight years during a period where they they grew um, at quite an exceptional rate, uh, obviously, and still growing today. Mm. Um, and the answer to your question is, it's it's there's, there's, well, there's no real one answer to it because it's very, very different. I think one thing that we do, um, and we probably specialize in quite a lot, and we're really, very proud of, is our kind of media relations, kind of press office work. So media relations or our editorial approach at the core of everything else that we do. So for some of the big brands that you mentioned, uh, we run, you know, essentially run 24-hour press office functions for them. Mm. Uh, you know, we have we have phones that we that we have, we divert phones and we you know, we answer phones in the evenings, at the weekends, at Christmas, or whatever. Um, and that is that's a really important uh, and interesting part of of what we do as a business. So, and the reason that's interesting is because you know you kind of you're up the, you're at the forefront, the front line of all of the issues that that those clients are facing. Uh, but also, you it enables you to build brilliant relationships with um, with all the media. Uh, but then, on one hand, you're doing that. But on the other hand, for some of our clients, we're actually working on you know content. Everyone's talking about content, but you know content strategies and, and even sort of content marketing strategies for for some some of our tech clients uh you know which takes us into a kind of more in, an integrated world you know social digital obviously is part of that um so it's very varied and it's no real one answer but i think one thing we're proud of is our kind of sort of pr heritage and that earned first approach to to what we do and that kind of editorial approach to what we do and if we mm. we know that if we can create content or tell stories or manage reputation or whatever it is um which is in a way that the media understand and can relate to and maybe want to cover um, and the media being arguably kind of the most cynical audience of, of all, <laughs> uh, then we know that you're, you're, you're creating something compelling that then would work across other channels as well. So, so whether that's, you know, marketing content or, you know, content for social media or, or whatever it is. So, so yeah, so that's kind of, I know that doesn't really answer your question, but it is, it is very varied and we've, you know, we've, you know, we've, we've got great teams who are, We've got a combination of specialists uh, who you know are really good at kind of corporate comms or content marketing or social or digital, and then other kind of generalists who just you know are brilliant at being those kind of all rounders who who are who are excellent at you know managing campaign work, who are brilliant with clients, who are fantastic kind of mentors for their teams, members, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So yeah, it's a, mm. a bit of a mix. Really interesting. We'll, so we'll I come back. I would say, sorry, Nathan. Yeah, but technology being kind of really key to that. I think if we were going to say, is there is there one thing that kind of ties it all together? I think sure. We're, we're very proud of our technology heritage. Really interesting. We'll we'll come back to the question about sort of B two B 
content specifically um in light of sort of how things have changed over 21 years with in, in b2b marketing i mean you, you must have seen it changed drastically and i'm, I'm really, really interesting to sort of get your um your perspective there but we'll come back to that a bit, a bit later on in the show but but give us an idea of the growth over both the last 21 years and also the last seven years as md specifically just high level numbers just to give people a flavor of sort of how the agency has grown um people revenue clients locations etc yeah okay so well, when i joined there were i think i said sort of 21st maybe employee 20 year or 21st employee uh, based in a you know beautiful um office space in notting hill uh we then Beautiful. moved to, to bayswater and then now in, in central london in soho and mm-hmm. nelson bostock well actually it's going to answer this question in a slightly different way but there was we, we as nelson bostock when i first started there was an idea i was working in kind of b2b tech and corporate and we also were doing um, a fair amount of consumer work for um, some really you know great consumer brands like bacardi breezer if we all remember bacardi breezers back in the sure. day um and stoves and you know lots of you know really really cool consumer brands but i don't think uh, i think it's i hope it's fair to say that we weren't nelson bostock maybe wasn't recognized so much as a as a consumer pr agency so as a result of that ten, well 10 years ago almost exactly 10 years ago we launched fever so fever is a uh consumer lifestyle comms agency a really really creative win loads of awards and they we did that because Nelson Bostock wasn't didn't really have the the um, kind of the reputation as a as a consumer comms agency and even though we were doing great consumer work at the time, so that that helps kind of accelerate our growth particularly in the consumer space and now and over the last sort of seven years or so since I've been in charge of, of Nelson Bostock, we have grown. We had many years. I think when I first started as MD, we were probably around about the three three point four million revenue client fee mark and we're now uh, about well over five million um, and I think mm. one of the challenges we had or I had certainly in my role was that we were we were sort of fluctuating around the sort of 3.5 to 3.8 million revenue mark for a number of years and then we, we were we needed something to kind of catapult us into, well, into above four million for the first time but then beyond that as well and I think that was another kind of key moment in um, in my career and in, in the history of the agency as well, where we started to win um, some really good sort of comms or PR traditional PR accounts, uh, which then helped us kind of accelerate that that growth beyond four million, which was a, which was a brilliant you know achievement for all of us in the business at the time. And then literally a year later, over five million, and that mm. was where you know we started to to kind of really feel like. <clears throat> we were, you know, we were onto a good thing and we had, you know, we had a great team and we were, we were, we were winning basically. How did you get over that 4 million milestone? Because if you were operating around three and a half for quite some time, that must've been quite a, a mental barrier or sort of block to sort of overcome. How, what did you do to to get over that 4 million barrier? And then subsequently the 5 million barrier, uh, bigger clients, larger retainers. What was it? Lo and behold, we did it. It was it wasn't really like that at all. It was it was more organic. It was organic growth. We um, you know we sorted our proposition out. We probably did a bit more marketing for ourselves because we've never really, which I hate to admit it, never really been great at doing our own PR. We've we've almost been one of the kind of best kept secrets in the in the tech PR 
uh, industry because you know we don't necessarily go out there and shout about ourselves too much. We're more more interested in, in talking about what mm. our clients do. The work. So mm. yeah, exactly. So we um, so we so we didn't have a strategy, but we we certainly did enough to kind of make sure our proposition was right. We entered a few more awards. We won won a few more. Uh, you know, good clients, and then we, when we got through four million, I think it was sort of psychologically, everyone was like, "Wow, you know that we we can do that," and therefore, yeah. you know, what what is stopping us from going okay. going further? And then, you know, we won again. We won a couple more big accounts. We got on a roll. We had a we had a bit of you know, we had a really good um, kind of new business uh, strategy and uh, and approach, and some great people who were able to kind of work on some you know, brilliant tenders and great responses. And then from there, you know, accelerated. Beyond, you know, quite quickly up to up to five million, but at the same time, in the in the background, we were also looking at how we could expand our kind of more integrated like homes and marketing offer, particularly in B two B. So we made we made a couple of acquisitions. Or the group made a couple of acquisitions on our behalf at that point, and um, even though the numbers like the five million numbers don't actually include those figures, I think that mm. that actually helped because it it kind of gave us another reason to speak to clients you know we were able to talk about integrated comms and marketing content marketing marketing automation you know sales enablement account-based marketing all, all of that stuff that mm. wasn't really in our armory uh you know a year or so before and actually maybe think about how we could sort of work more closely with with those new agencies that we had acquired to to create teams that were able to have slightly different conversations and and therefore you know get get revenue in different ways from from clients that we work with so, so if you were to go back to the beginning of your uh, seven-year sort of career journey at, as MD, what would you have done, knowing what you know now and about the trajectory and the growth, what would you have done differently? What would you have changed uh, seven years ago? Um, it's quite a hard question to answer, isn't it? Um, what would I have done differently? I think there's a lot of stuff, personally for me, like I referred to earlier on, that I would would have done differently you know just swifter decision making uh, mm. or certainly empowering people to make decisions on my behalf um probably not you know you worry about stuff all the time and i think mm. maybe you know, i still worry about things now but earlier in my career i um you probably worried more and you take things personally don't you i think you mm. why why is that person leaving why sure you know, why is that client not happy are they are they going to are they going to fire us um, right. You know, so it's probably more personal stuff that I that I have changed my outlook on on things. But from a strategy point of view, I think you know what we what we were doing many many years ago still kind of sits at the heart of what we do now. And and it was it was good back then, and it's good it's really good now. Um, right. I think we maybe we could have diversified a bit quicker into some other areas. I mean, we were I can't remember when it was. It was probably ten years ago or more where we started looking at what we built. You know, we brought in in house. Uh, content production and uh, video motion you know when as social media really started started to take off we you know, brought in specialists for that so you know that we we did all that so i don't think i'm not sure there's much i would change uh, in mm. terms of the strategy i mean one of the things that we that we haven't done and this isn't through lack of uh wanting to or even exploring it is is that kind of global expansion and i know lots of other agencies have done that successfully either through acquisition or um or just just growth basically off the back of client needs and um you know we haven't done that we've always been london based uk based and and i think if we 
if we had expanded globally, if we had been able to buy up offices or if we partnered with other people uh, more effectively, maybe that would have maybe that would have taken us in a slightly different direction as well. But yeah, but yeah. limited our, our growth. Um, unless you sort of think, well, maybe we could have doubled our size if we'd had offices in, I don't know, San Francisco, Boston, Berlin, and a few other places. And and does that sort of expansion appeal to you and the other leadership team? Is that is, is that sort of aggressive global expansion something that is still on the agenda or uh, not so much? Not so much now, because what we have done in place of that is build a really good network of affiliate partners, uh, some great some great businesses that we that we partner with on uh, existing client work or who we. Uh, get great referrals from or, or provide to. So it would be hard for us to do that now, I think. And if you look at the US market, it is a bit of a graveyard, isn't it, of failed um, attempts to kind of launch over there. Mm. I think it would be it'd be tough. And, and equally, and I this, this, this isn't by any means a criticism of, of, um, of the group that we're in, they're quite focused on on the UK market. And um, you know, we have we have good global partnerships through that group as well, but the mm. group as well. But yeah, it's 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 not really a strategy right now. And I think if if we'd done it ten years ago, I'd be sitting here saying well, that was you know that was, I'm really pleased we did that. That was sure that was really great. Um, but I'm not looking back regretting it. Sure. I've also, been able to grow without it. That's really interesting. So so I imagine the challenges and problems now that you face in the business are very different to that of seven years ago. What what keeps you up at night these nights? Um, what keeps me up at night? Uh, probably some of the same things that did that did back then. Uh, <laughs> we, you know, you go through changes. It's a very competitive market, isn't it? So clients, um, we've, I'd like to say, we've been really fortunate. We've worked with with clients for one of our clients, um, Toshiba's actually been a client for over thirty years. Can you believe? Um, we've worked with Canon for over eighteen years, and we have, I think, we have, you know, we have really good, long standing relationships with clients because. We do good work, and we, we keep we keep people um, happy, um, and therefore, if you have a happy happy workforce, you normally do they normally do great work for clients, and that's mm-hmm. that's a big focus for us. But but yeah, keeping me awake, it's yeah, it's the is it Matthew Freud, is it who said you're only three phone calls away from going bust? I think as an agency head, you always you, know, you always have those those fears, don't you? You always sort of uh, you get an email from a client saying, uh, "Can we have a quick catch up?" And you're like, "Oh no, what's what's happened here?" Um, and it might just be, you know, a phone call to say, "Really, yeah. how everything's yeah. going?" And, Love and the work. Actually, by the way, we've got this other brief that you might be interested keep going, in. right? Yeah, but yeah, it's there's there's a lot, isn't there, that keeps you up awake at night? And I spoke to um, a friend recently who moved from agency into into an in-house role, and and it's no different. It's no in-house. You have the same level of anxiety i think you you know it's the same pressure i think uh, that, you, that you face it's a different type different type of work um the working hours are still long the big difference is and this is what he was saying to me is that you know at the end of the day when you close your laptop you can kind of switch off you you don't you, you don't necessarily lie awake in the middle of the night thinking oh no i haven't done that or you know mm-hmm. what could happen tomorrow or um, and maybe, maybe that's naive of me to say that because I, you know, I don't have much experience working in house roles, obviously, because I've been in the same company for 20 years. But, but yeah, it, it just kind of anecdotally, I think maybe the, the stresses of running an agency um, mm. are, are always going to be there. 
And what are those three three phone calls? Your three f- phone calls away from going bust. Talk a little bit about oh, just that. well, just just three three clients that you know effectively <laughs> phone you up and say we're going to move the business somewhere else. Um, yeah, and that's you know, and, and that's that's the thing about it, agency life as well, isn't it? You these things happen, and you you can't take them too personally. You can't take them too seriously. Well, you need to take them seriously, obviously, because if you've done something wrong, you need to think it, think about how you can rectify that for the future. But but it's it happens and you there are always other opportunities out there there are always um other people that great people out there that you can bring into the business to help you grow in different ways so so yes so let's talk a little bit about that then how do you think about business development outbound inbound strength of the brand uh, referral relationships vlogging <laughs> well how do you think about business development yeah i think we're lucky we have a good reputation in the market we are as i said before sort of quite synonymous with um with tech we work with you know we work with big global tech companies as well as really exciting challenger brands and also high growth companies lots of businesses we work with come over from the us look at technology companies come over from the us look at look at the uk or london even specifically as their sort of jumping off point for the the next phase of their global expansion so we we have great reputation and we get lots of inbound uh inquiries and referrals as well from those agency partners i talked Mm. about which means that we probably don't do enough externally don't do don't push you know don't do enough of our own marketing and as i said maybe that's you know what i said earlier on as well links to that point about uh you know almost sort of best kept secret not we uh you know maybe should shy away from the from the spotlight a little bit um so we probably could do do that a bit better but we don't we've, we've never really historically used uh, you know, out those outbound agencies, we haven't really needed to. Um, we get a lot of referrals either through clients who have worked with us in previous roles, or even actually from people who've left the company. So worked with us and then gone on into in-house roles and then then bring us in to work with them, mm. which is you know is equally great. And that's you know you think well that's that's a really you know, testament to the fact that that we obviously have a good thing where where people can leave on on good terms and have had such a good experience of working with us that they then think and, and believe that the work we do is really good that they then say well when i go on to a to a role in and be in a company where i potentially have the ability to appoint an agency i'm going to i'm going to come back to you and that's you know that's 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 always probably the most pleasing thing when it happens mm. because it's um you know it just shows it shows that you, as i said you're onto a good thing but yeah probably we could probably do more external marketing we've never used any external agencies to support us a lot of it is inbound referrals um, and reputation. Mm, really interesting. As if all of that wasn't enough, you're also the CEO of the comms division within the Unlimited Group, as you mentioned earlier, uh, which includes the sister agency Fever, uh, which is a consumer lifestyle PR agency, and Health Unlimited, as you said. Tell us a little bit more about how the group is structured. Yeah, so I so the group the group is structured into four divisions. So there's the comms division, which I head up, and you've got the marketing division, which is a mix of B two B and B two C marketing capabilities. We've got a, an amazing insight uh, division, which is uh, made up of lots of different types of insight, data analytics, neuroscience, all, all sorts of amazing things, mm. um, and then also a digital division, uh, which is kind of looking at. Uh, digital transformation, um, you know, UX, user journey, digital design builds, and all that sort of stuff. So quite quite streamlined in terms of the structure of the of the group, and actually much more streamlined than it was probably a couple of years ago. And um, so yeah, as you said, I head up the the comms division, which is three separate agencies 
Nelson Bostock Fever and Health Unlimited. And what we're trying to do there is think about, and the, and the agencies are very, very specialist. They're very, they're very individual. They have, they have quite separate cultures, different needs, different, different skill sets. But there are definitely areas of uh, kind of integration, crossover, collaboration. Um, and that's what we're looking at at the moment, which is really interesting. So if you, if you merge the health team's capability and the health, the health team are also incredible. They, you know, they work on, they don't do any kind of public health or consumer health currently. It's, um, it's all working with kind of big pharma companies looking mm. at how, um, how they can do the comms around, you know, either rare diseases or lots of oncology, you know, it's really kind of, and they're really, spe- you know, so specialists, you know, very scientific in their approach. Um, but there is an obvious opportunity there. If you combine the, the creative capabilities of fever with the health capabilities of the health team, to kind of branch into kind of more of a consumer into the consumer health world, um, consumer technology as well is, is an area that both Nelson Bostock and and Fever over the years have, have done lots of work in. Sure, there is an opportunity to potentially to branch out there. So we're looking at how we integrate around uh, the services that we offer across those three agencies, and, and almost you know similar to what other big brands have in the market, have a comms offer that that spans from corporate through to B two B consumer uh, health. And also bridging into areas like internal comms and um, you know public affairs. Some of those, well, certainly public affairs, we do um, bits and pieces with some of our big clients, but you know quite often through partnerships. So, so yeah, fully integrated comms offer um, within our within our within our bit of the business. No, and then like... also working closely with the other with the other divisions as well. So lots of crossover with marketing, lots of kind of shared opportunities and clients and insight as well. Insight is basically at the heart of everything that all all agencies do, of course. Uh, but having that kind of those insight capabilities that we've got um, and that human understanding at the heart is is really good for, for all campaign work that we do. So so good collaboration within the group, but then also integration within our own division. Fascinating, okay. fascinating. Lots lots to keep you keep you busy. Um, as if that wasn't um, enough on your plate, being the managing director of um, Nelson Bostock. Let, let's talk a little bit about B2B marketing, specifically in light of COVID-19. Some... B2B companies probably won't survive the crisis, uh, B2B agencies also as well, but others will most likely emerge better positioned for the future and stronger. And I guess a lot of that will depend on the strength of their digital capabilities and their analytics and the, and the insights that they're yeah. capturing now in order for them to sort of innovate, create new business models, etc. How are the best B2B brands and agencies actually transforming their businesses right now to weather the storm yeah i think if uh, this isn't this isn't unique at all but anyone who isn't currently looking at what the future looks like and planning for that and kind of remodeling adjusting uh and and thinking about strategies to help them grow in the future is, is obviously making you know making a mistake and that's you know from an agency point of view i can say that because we're you know, very heavily involved in this and currently going through quite a big process and it's not it's not a big transformation process because lots of what we do is is um you know is working really well and, and clients have adapted and we've adapted and and actually we've you know i think comms is quite resilient in in the current in the current uh, pandemic that we're that we're facing um but yes it's about that kind of planning for the future and as you said nathan it's kind of like having the data and analytics capabilities at the heart and as i mentioned the kind of human understanding and insight bit that we that we're fortunate to have with it within our group actually thinking about customer behavior, buyer behavior, how that is now and how that has been influenced by what's what's happened and how that will change forevermore 
or not in some cases in the future. So some, and I think this is very kind of industry specific, isn't it? If sure. About, you talk about the consumer space, then you'd say, well, you know, what what does the future of retail look like? Sure. What does the future of the airline industry or travel industry look like? You know, we're not really in that in that space, but you know, from a B two B point of view, and I would I think you know, and maybe I'm just seeing this just based on our own experience, but lots of the B two B tech companies. I think are quite resilient too, because a lot of them all, you know, there's been this huge transition or transformation or transition into, into, you know, into cloud, um, you know, into everything you know, as a service, software as a service over the years. So that's already happened. So, you know, lots of businesses are already offering that. And if you think about the great success stories from, from this current period that we're going through, then, you know, obviously the big guns like Microsoft, um, you know, Zoom, anyone that's offering any kind of, you know, digital, digitally based, uh, you know, communication platforms, uh, or even you know the big, the big digital uh, or social media platforms, whether that's you know Facebook or you know Google or whatever, booming YouTube. right now. Yeah, yeah, booming. I mean, obviously, it's the we're not we're not all out and about looking at billboard posters, are we? We're, <laughs> we're probably not. We're, you know, we're probably at home more, but are we are we consuming yeah. as much kind of linear linear TV? A lot of people probably are outside actually, actually flouncing the laws. Well, they, <laughs> well, they are now. Yeah, yeah. that is true. Um, but we're all, you know, we're, we're watching streaming services, yeah. aren't we? Um, and then we're then we're stuck on our on our laptops, and our laptops are able to kind of track us and feed us with relevant, um, you know, ads and content. Um, and that's and that's the world that you know that, that we now live in. So so I think a lot of those B two B companies, tech companies particularly, have adapted already to this. And but then I think from an agency point of view, and certainly what we're we're going through now is this is this kind of root and branch. You know what? What are we as a business? And are we? Are, you know, we are. We're obviously set up and okay now. We're all working from home effectively, and we've gone through that period, and that's fine. And you know, we may have been really scared of that at the start, but actually, that seems to have worked quite well. And you know, touch wood, that continues. Uh, but what you know, what comes next? And I know that's really hard to predict. But if you're not thinking about it, then then you then you're at risk of of just kind of thinking. Well, let's just cling on for now. Let's just try and weather the storm. Hmm. Let's get through, and then let's hope for the best and hope for the rebound. Um, and that you know that may never come. So. So yeah, I I think it's, I think that's that's the process we're going through, and lots of other companies will be as well. And you know, we're adopting a thing at the moment, which is um, I don't necessarily like kind of management speak so much, but McKinsey does 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 a lot of work in this space, and sure. a lot of a lot of the advice that they give, um, particularly in in this period of um, you know what you know what you could term of a crisis, well it is a crisis, yeah. is you know le- is around leadership, and and some of the kind of cues I take from what they say are things like. You know, in a period of crisis, um, leadership cannot be a top-down uh, kind of dictator style. Um, this, you know, this is my opinion. This is what we need to do. Sure. It really needs to be a really collaborative, and I think they sort of term it as kind of network of teams um, approach, where you empower, involve, and empower your um, not even just your senior leadership team, the whole team to think about what to solve the problems that you're currently facing, think about the long-term objectives, and think about how you get there. And it's just, you know, it's really simple stuff. But if you if you if you start to think in that way and you start to put some framework around that, start to kind of involve people, hmm. it makes everyone feel like they're part of the, the future strategy of the company. Um, and it also gets the whole business thinking about what do we look like in six months' time? You know, what's going to happen if there's a second wave? You know, what you know, what does the future look like? And that's that's essential. Everyone should be thinking about that right now. That's really interesting. Just just on that, actually, before we get into our favourite questions towards the back end of, of the interview, that's that's a really good point that you mentioned around leadership, because a lot of leaders, especially when they're new to a role, they almost feel as though they have all the answers and the answers sh- should come from them and it should come top down um, and, and sort of, you know, give your marching orders to the rest of the, of the company. Um, 
Whereas now, I guess you're m much more concerned with uh, collaborative leadership, as you as 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 you called it, and and McKinsey McKinsey labelled it. How has your leadership sort of style changed since you've become MD? Were you that initial? Initially, did you did you go into the company saying, right, I've got all the answers, you guys dance to my tune, or were you much more collaborative from the beginning? Yeah, I know I was much more collaborative from the beginning, and I think because I didn't know the answers, and I think I was <laughs> trying to work it work it out. Sure. Um, and I think that's you know as I referred to earlier, I think a little bit of I was a little bit indecisive back then because you know I, I felt like I needed to know the answers, and I you know maybe had experience to to dictate that I should know the answers, but I but I didn't. And then but then I think that that maybe has changed a bit. I think my role is you know yeah absolutely I need to probably I need to definitely make make some big calls. Uh, need to be the kind of final say on on certain things but my approach has always been and, and will always be really collaborative mm. and you know maybe sometimes overly so um which can still lead to some kind of this sort of decisions by committee or um you know just what maybe come across as sometimes a lack of decisiveness but but my my strategy um probably because of some of my own failings is to surround myself with with great people with mm. great ideas mm. who who know more about things than I do, mm. and I know a lot about some things. But I don't know a lot about everything. <laughs> about so, everything. Yeah. so yeah, it's having the right balance of the right people with the right opinions, mm. you know, not enough diversity of opinion mm. uh, to actually kind of come to a consensus. And more more often than not, you will you'll come at that come out of that in in a good way. I mean, what I can what I can bring obviously is we've referred to many times 20 odd years of experience sure. and, and, and experience in the same place mm. which can be a good thing but also can be a bad thing so what we have tried to do and what we need to be better at in the future is bringing in to the business people with different ways of thinking and different different ways of challenging sure. us as a business and, and therefore coming up with different strategies in the future well let's talk a little bit about that then and that's a nice segue into our favorite questions uh, that we ask all of our guests um, these are some quick fire round questions a bit more fun and, and, and playful um, but tell us about a time when you failed and what you learned from the experience especially in light of sort of what you've just said around um, you know diversity of thought and, and, and opinion and, and not having all the answers uh yes it, i saw i saw this question i was thinking how, how can i answer that it's quite hard i, I don't i mean I, i'm not being um you know, i'm not trying to be arrogant in any way here i can't think of any any one one moment where i failed spectacularly that it's kind of sort of sticks in my memory if that mm. makes sense however like obviously the failing just lots of little ones <laughs> right constantly the, and that's and it becomes and the norm <laughs> Yeah, and it well, yeah, I hope not, but yeah, it's um that that I can I certainly recognise that, and I'm certainly the sort of, sort of person that would admit where I've done something wrong or something wasn't wasn't quite right, and, and we try and learn from that. And I think you know thinking about you know I, I mentioned diversity before of diversity of opinion, um we haven't talked about diversity of of people um within the organisation, and, and I know that's that's obviously a massive a massive issue. We've got there'll be a whole separate conversation about sure. that. I think you know just because I want to give you an answer to this question. I think one thing that um, where I think that I have failed recently on is 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 a little bit around um, Black Lives Matter and everything that's happened uh, you know within the industry within our industry but globally as well. Mm. And I think when I when I say failure, what I mean by that is I think we of course we were you know we were really aware of events and we were really um, you know keen to address it. We were very very keen to put in place 
um, you know, strategies and committees and, and everything. And we're really committed to making to making the best possible effort that we can to, to, to make the environment for our people better, for us to understand the issues better and to be just to be better people, basically, and to understand what's happening. Where I think I failed was the bit that, which I find hard to admit, actually, the bit that, and I've had a few conversations with people about this, where, where we maybe, maybe I let my team down a little bit, was not recognising enough the impact that, that what the, those events were having on those individuals, which were then exacerbated, exaggerated by the fact that they, everyone was locked down. Sure. In isolation. Sure. And I think I've, I've you know, I've sort of, addressed it retrospectively but there was that period of that week sure. uh, or two weeks where it was it was so intense and we have people who are who are social media um specialists working day to day in social media and if you were doing that and you know simple things like that thinking you know i had a conversation with someone and she said that it's my job and it was unavoidable and it mm. was overwhelming and all-consuming and and i and i felt you know really personally um, like I'd not done enough right. to, to recognize that and to kind of address that and just put an arm around those people. And we were doing it in different ways, but mm. not not directly and individually. Um, and and that's where I think if that's if that's an answer to the yeah. question, that's where I think you know recent failure and, and something I've learned from sure. where you were really heavily you know addressing that. Now. Really fascinating. Tell us about some of your early mentors who influenced the way that you think about growing the agency, the way you think about entrepreneurship and your own personal growth um i've got you know i've always been always connected with other sort of agency heads um and other people in the industry and you know you always learn from from those people like i, I wouldn't want to name anyone specifically sure. but um I, I, they you know you you sort of realize that is that meant is that kind of being mentored i'm not sure but it's it's certainly it's certainly um great to be able to have those conversations to understand that everyone is in the same position everyone is facing the same challenges and you know it's great to then you know have those really honest conversations even though you know in some cases you might be sort of competing with those people of course you are competing you're competing for talent you're competing for for clients but actually that's the great thing isn't it about um well certainly i think it's the same in most industries but you know that ability to just kind of like you know, let your guard down and just be really open about the fact that it's not always great is it and we face we face challenges every day and, and everyone is 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 in the same boat essentially but I think for in terms of kind of mentors it, it would be the people that I have worked with and you know I would have I couldn't go on any any podcast without mentioning Martin Bostock and Roger Nelson sure. the two founders of the of the agency who who I worked with for many many years early in my career um, and obviously completely uh, molded me as as a as a kind of comms professional and and they were they were great mentors they were great they were great leaders and they were you know the perfect uh, combination of Martin who was um, kind of very methodical um, you know kind of planning you know based uh, you know very good at kind of kind of agency management and operations and strategy and then Roger who was the who was the creative so you had the perfect kind of the balance okay. of the two there and, Ying and, Yang. and so so both of them yeah exactly and then both of both of them and, and other people I work with as well, um, other other managers I have through my career, all of them have, have played a part in helping me, um, you know, grow and, and learn through my mm. through my time. Really interesting. The the books question. Tell us about some of your favourite books, be they marketing related, PR related, business, uh, consumer, whatever. Yeah, I think having having said that, I uh, well, having referenced McKinsey and and you know talking about kind of management speak i don't i don't really i don't really read those uh well certainly don't read any pr books, okay. or, or marketing books. 
Right. Um, all those sort of management books, those sort of self-help okay. style books. I think I, you know, you start to read those and you flick through them. And, uh, you know, actually one of them I flicked through recently was um, Essentialism. Is it Essentialism? Okay. Greg McEwen. Yeah. Former guest yes. on the show. Right. Great. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that, that's, that sort of thing is really helpful. It's yeah. kind of like, think about what is absolutely essential to your, to your day to day and just park the rest, that's it. you know, particularly, particularly during this, this time where you could, if you want to be on a teams or a zoom call from eight until eight, if you wanted to, I could easily fill my day up with back to back. Sure. You don't need to. So you, you know, that's something you, you learn, I guess, as you get more senior in your career, but also just you know, reading a book like that helps because it's kind of like, yeah, that's so true. Yeah. A lot yeah. Of common sense. I quite like reading books that have maybe uh, a, a, some sort of like message in them or you know, things that you can learn, but I'm kind of more not related to, well, I have a business message, but not related to the business world. If that, okay, that right. So, you can extrapolate yeah, so from them like, from different industries. Yeah, something like um, Bounce, you know, Matthew Saeed's okay. book yeah. or, um, you know, things like, I love this book I love called um, Moonwalking with Einstein, which is... I've um, heard of it. Sure. Or I think so. He is that about so basically memory? he's yeah he's a journalist who um, who I think like me and this is why I like it just has a, has a terrible memory. <laughs> so he's like and he, he reads or he does he writes an article about uh, these people who are kind of memory champions. Right. I think in the US as you have the, the US memory championships and it's essentially he he teaches himself to uh, kind of create build this kind of photographic memory. Um, and he's he's able to kind of um, do card reading and all sorts of stuff. And it's kind of the concept around you um, you, you use visualization techniques. So you link uh, a memory to uh, an image or a specific thing um, that you can see. And then when you see that, you can remember the the, the memory. Sure. Um, and I, I you know I read this and I was thinking you know it's just just fascinating stuff yeah. anyway. And I was, I was convinced I was going to read that and then be able to kind of <laughs> instantly remember everything. Yeah, and go and gamble, right? Um, and another books I love, yeah, another books I love are, are sports books. To be honest, and again, like anything that's biographies, um, biographies, but anything like with any form of controversy. In it, oh, okay, you know, like uh, there's a brilliant book called the um, Dirtiest Race in History, which is the story of the 1998 100 meter final um, in Seoul, which was right. the one that Ben Johnson won. Carl Lewis came second, Limp and Christie came third. Right, Ben Johnson ran it in like five seconds or something obviously, <laughs> you know, very um you know very under the influence shall we say <laughs> five seconds i'd say so yeah i think it was probably not five right that. and then but then also the story is, is is brilliant because it's kind of this whole whole um i mean obviously massive controversy but yeah. then all the speculation around literally everyone else in that race sure. also um, you know, doing the same. So, you know, was it actually, if you look back, was it actually a fair race? Because they, they were all, you know, maybe that's, I shouldn't say that slander, but I'll probably get sued. So let's not say that. <laughs> anyway, really fascinating. Yeah. And then anything like cycling related. Yeah, interesting. David Walsh book on Lance Armstrong. That's yeah. A... Anything that's got a bit of controversy. Controversy. Yeah. yeah. I'd that's say a, give, them, give them all performance enhancing drugs and that's e equality. Uh, <laughs> as long as they're all using it, then it's fair. But if only some of them are. You could say that, know. Nathan. I couldn't. <laughs> uh, last couple of questions, and then I'll I'll let you go. Amazon Prime or Netflix? What are you streaming these days? That's good. Ooh. I got both. I have both. Um, Prime have. Do you? There's um the Good Fight. Do you watch the Good no, Fight? No, I haven't seen that. 
Um, What's that about? It's a yeah, it's a uh, a story of a Chicago-based law firm. I think it came, is the Good Wife. I think it's original. Okay. Good Wife. Um, I mean, it's yeah, it's pretty good TV. Yeah. That's on Amazon Prime. But then you know, I, I you know through lockdown, obviously, Tying the King, um, binge that. Uh, <laughs> The um the Jeffrey Epstein Jeffrey Epstein yeah documentary. yeah what's the other one on Netflix which is really good yeah but both to be honest okay um, but we try and you know I, I know everyone sort of says this but we try and only do if we can like an hour of maybe two <laughs> a night right um, but yeah we get yeah once we get the kids to bed and stuff yeah then yeah. time's all yours uh last couple of questions what advice would you give to a young person or millennial who says that they want to start a B two B technology agency. To start an agency or start in an agency? Both. Oh. Actually, um, yeah, why not? Yeah, well, I think, it's, it, as I said before, it's it's so tough, isn't it? It's really, really hard. I, you know, we, you know, as a company, we do quite a lot. We try and, um, you know, we have talent days. We try and make sure that the um, the, the, the talent pool that we're recruiting from is as diverse as possible, all, all that sort of stuff. Mm. But it's it's really, really hard. It's really mm. competitive. When you do those, you get you get loads and loads of applicants. And, um you know, there's the kind of there's the you know obvious answer around things like try and find a business that uh, you know matches the same values as that you have, which is great, and and I totally agree with that. But also, that's it's quite hard, isn't it? You, it's you know getting getting that first foot through the door is is really difficult. And and then I you know and I know from, from personal experience how lucky I was to have you know, to have a contact that was 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 able to get me that that initial introduction. It's not the same for, for people today, and it's not always that easy. Um, and actually, you shouldn't really be, uh, you know, prioritizing people who have that that kind of um, opportunity, or maybe have the influence. You know, it needs to be a fair playing field. Mm. So, mm. so yeah, it, it, yeah. I mean, definitely things about values, and I think about businesses you want to work with or clients you want to work on. Uh, try and get some experience, and I know that's difficult as well. But you know, I think look at just follow follow the agencies, follow their social uh, channels look at the sorts of things they're talking about, try and engage in those conversations, keep an eye out for when openings are there, um, you know, just keep in touch with HR teams mm. uh, within those within those agencies and just keep plugging away. Mm. Uh, but it's but it's hard. Gaining experience is difficult. Sure. Um, we, do, we, we try and we try and do as much of that as we can mm. uh, with with individuals. But but again it's you know it's it, chicken and egg and yeah it is, it and, is but then setting up an agency i don't even know <laughs> well it's, you know, it's, it's so it, far back yeah but it's kind of like yeah i mean it's again you know people say well you need to you need to create a business with a you know something in a niche like something which sure. is totally unique and all the rest of it. it's hard you can't you can't do that like as much as you know you could put all of the agency propositions for, for comms and marketing agencies up on a wall mm. um, and it, it's got a similar flavors of the same thing. Um, it's hard to find a you know dedicated kind of stream or, or niche that you could truly differentiated. Right. But I think it's, yeah, but I think if you're really entrepreneurial and ambitious, there is opportunity out there. There's definitely, uh, you know, if you're well connected and um, you, know, you can bring some good people along uh, with you on that, on that journey mm. uh, there is opportunity and and you know i know it's weird times at the moment mm. but hopefully there'll be a there'll be a bounce back in the second half of the year and um yeah just you know if you believe you've got you've got an, an idea go for it mm. 
Who would be an agency owner? That's why I'm sitting on this side of the mic, uh, Nick. That's why I'm uh, I'm not I'm not I'm not following you in your footsteps. Uh, and my final question: What do you know about growing a B two B technology agency today that you wish you knew, either 21 years ago or seven years ago when you became MD? Uh, what do I know? Well, yeah, what do we know now? I think a lot of what we've said, what I've, what I've said already is, is, is certainly relevant here. Um, there's, there's a lot of individual things about, about me and how I, how I work that, mm. that I think have changed. And if I, and I'm not saying it would have been different if I was like an hour back then, um, because obviously you have the benefit of experience and, and hindsight and, and all the rest of it. Sure. Um, it is, I, I, I think the market is more competitive. There are more, there are more players who are, who are encroaching on each other's space. You know, there's back the battleground around social that we've had, you know, people, you know, SEO agencies saying that they're content agencies or PR agencies, uh, you know, marketing agencies, the battle over creative between marketing and 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 PR agencies as well. So th- th- those those lines are really blurred. So I think that's it's more challenging now than it than it ever has been. Um and I think going out there and, and being quite clear about what, what your proposition is certainly certainly helps. And, and I say that sort of, sort of slightly checking myself because, you know, our proposition has evolved quite a lot and, and it's always evolving. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? If you work in an agency mm. every year, it's, it's like, well, we kind of need to say something slightly differently or do something slightly differently. If for no other, other reason, that's just to give the business of the, of the sense of, of change and, and momentum. So I think well, that doesn't answer your question at all, but... <laughs> I think I think times are times are different. I think back then, I remember when we when we when we would go out and win business, we were, there were a smaller pool of agencies that we would compete against. There's a new agency springing up every day, um, well maybe not now, but you know certainly there, there has been. Sure. And that competition is really good. It's great. It keeps you on your toes. It makes you think about uh, what client what clients actually need, which is ultimately uh, the most important thing. Well, that and, and as well as what your what your team needs. So it keeps you on your toes. It makes you think doubly hard about you know how do i retain the staff how do i make this the best possible working environment how can we do the best client campaign work uh, and also how do we evolve as a business for what is coming in the future mm, quite quite fascinating nick thank you so much for doing this no problem at all i've really enjoyed it nathan yeah thanks for your thanks for your time We have been speaking with Nick Clark. He is currently the Managing Director of Nelson Bostock. If you enjoyed this conversation, head over to Apple Podcasts where you can listen to 85 such conversations now we've had with world-class sales and marketing leaders. Thank you for all your feedback and suggestions on LinkedIn and email. Write to me at nathan at agencydealmasters.com. Follow me on Twitter at NathanAnnieBarber. We would be unable to do this show without our very own Dealmasters. Ahmed Ahmed is our editor. Genevieve Magecki is our booker slash project manager. Marion Begum is our head of research. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Agency Dealmasters.